All right, so we're at the end of our two-week fast. How many of you are now salivating after watching that video, just waiting to wrap things up? Um, we, as a church, have been fasting for a couple of weeks, and if you're new with us, my name's Evan, I'm on staff here at Epic. Let me just let you know what that means. It's a biblical practice where we stop doing something in order to focus more on God. So people give up all sorts of stuff. People give up meat. I don't know why, but they do. Um, people give up sweets. They give up certain kinds of drinks. Uh, I know somebody who told me at the men's event that they gave up salads. <laughs> they were really excited about that. So, you know, um, maybe that was a good thing or not. People also give up social media. They gave up entertainment. But they decide to stop doing that thing for a little while, to give up that thing, to stop eating that thing in order to focus on God. So confession time. How many of you haven't uh, or already went out and did the thing you haven't been able to do for a couple of weeks? I see some brave hands. Like the first thing you did was open up Facebook and went, 385 notifications, I don't know what to do. It's too much. I gave up sugary sweets. I gave up sugar in almost everything that I could, no snacks or anything like that. I gave up everything to drink except for water and coffee. I made an exception for coffee because nobody likes me if I don't have coffee. Um, <laughs> that's my wife. <laughs> I'm fairly sure God doesn't like me without coffee. I know he loves me. God has to love me. I don't think he likes me until that second cup in the morning. And so I was super excited this morning to come in and have a donut because we usually have donuts for the setup team and we're still fasting. There was no donut here this morning. And so I'm thinking about going out to Krispy Kreme for the full body glaze and I'll see you guys sometime next week. <laughs> now, if you gave up meat or if you gave up a couple meals a day or something like that, I want to encourage you to ease back into a normal eating schedule. Don't go out to Sunny's this afternoon for the all-you-can-eat meat platter. You will hurt and you will be very sad later. So ease your way back into it. But I want to tell you guys, congratulations. Whether you fasted for two weeks or one week or a couple of days, whatever it was, I want to say congratulations on completing the fast. And I hope that God spoke to you during that time. At the very beginning of the fast, God asked us to... Or, Trent asked us to, God asked Trent. Trent asked us to commit to something during our fast. We're gonna fast from something, we're gonna fast for something. One of the things I committed to during this fast was, and it was actually a recommitment, was how I spend my mornings. So I've gotten out of the habit of giving God the first part of my day. I still read the Bible and I still pray off and on through the day, but I'd gotten out of the habit of giving him that very first section. So I really felt like God wanted me to recommit to that. And so for the past two weeks, I get up in the morning, I take a shower, and before anybody else is awake, I spend, it's not a lot, 15 or 20 minutes, just me and God. And I read my Bible, and I look for truth in that. And I spend some time praying, and I listen for God. And, and it's just been a fantastic way to settle my mornings and start my day in the right place. So that was one of my commitments. Now, just because the fast is over doesn't mean that commitment ends. And I want to encourage you guys in that. Whatever God asked you to commit to, Maybe he asked you to commit to not doing certain things. Whatever it was for you, I want to encourage you to keep strong in that commitment. Don't give it up. We've got all of 2017 to continue moving forward in that because God has better things for us. And when we commit to the things that he has for us, we get to find a better life. We get to find truth. We get to find hope. We get to find joy in those things. In fact, the series that we're in right now is all about commitments, we're calling it no freedom. And that's because a lot of times when we look at commitments, we look at the fact that when I say yes to this thing and I commit to it, 
I say no to everything else. So in my head, it's like I'm going to lose all the freedom and the options I might have when I commit to a job opportunity. I say no to all of those other jobs that might really want me and everything I have to offer. No. Um, When I commit to doing something with some portion of my week, I'm saying no to all the other things I could do with that time. When I commit to one person for the rest of my life, I'm saying no to all of the other people that obviously want me and wish that they were with me for the rest of their lives. Again, I don't have that problem either. (laughs) What we're learning as we explore this together is that we get to learn what real freedom is. We get to truly know freedom when we commit to the things that God has for us. God has stuff out there that he wants us to commit to. And when we commit to those things, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, we learn what true freedom looks like. And that's how Trent started out the series with knowing what commitment looks like and knowing what God-honoring commitments look like. And then he followed that up with knowing that God committed to us. And this is amazing to me. And it was just, it was a beautiful way to look at this and a beautiful message. But it's this idea that when we make the decision to follow Jesus, to give him everything, to surrender and say, you know what, there's only one way I have a relationship to God and that is through you, Jesus. And so I'm going to commit to that. Then God turns around and commits to us. And the really cool part of that commitment is that once we make that decision, no matter what happens on our end, because we're human and we're gonna mess up and we're gonna fall off the wagon and we're gonna slip and stumble and fall. And no matter what happens, God says, it doesn't matter. I'm holding up my end of the commitment. I'm holding up my end of the bargain. I will always be here. I will always have my arms open for you. I will always be ready to hold on to you. I will never push you away, never turn my back. God commits to us. And then last week, we had a great message about committing to a life of forgiveness and all that it means to when we hold on to grudges and pain and frustration, we carry that weight all of the time. But when we commit to forgiveness, We can leave that burden behind and live a free life. So it's been a fantastic series so far. This week, we're looking at one more kind of commitment. It's committing to other people. And in our society, this isn't something that we love to do. We're really good with the surface level friendships, right? Acquaintances, people we know at work, maybe even friends that you go to church with or you have in your neighborhood. Um, We have done a great job as a society of making relationships about this, about social media. And uh, I'm not going to rant on social media because I love social media. (laughs) But what we've done as a society is we've said, these are our relationships. This is the way that we connect and engage with people. And this is about as far as I want to go. Now, if I look on my profile this morning, I have, oh good, it didn't change since last night, 578 friends on Facebook. Nobody unfollowed me last night. Um, I have about 300 people who follow me on Instagram. I have another 250 who follow me on Twitter, uh, which is really sad because Twitter is dying and I wish it wouldn't. I love Twitter. No one else does and that's why it's dying. (laughs) Um, Now, am I committed to all of those people? No, I don't have the capacity to commit to 578 people. I don't have the capacity to to commit to 250 people, not at a real relationship level. And so our society has said, that's okay. You can engage with them in this. You can make it easy. You can be really simple. And 
then what happens when they post something that we really don't like, or we don't line up with, they support an idea or a stance or a person that we are not behind at all. What do we do? We unfriend them. Because that's the easy way out, isn't it? We decide, you know what, I don't need to see that anymore. Or worse than unfriending, we unfollow them because that 578 is like a value number, right? I get worth out of that, so I don't want my friend count to go down. So I click unfollow, and then I never have to see anything they post again. All I have to do is pretend like they're off on the side somewhere, and I don't have to commit anything to that relationship. And our society has made it so easy to walk through life that way. Now, how many of us, before we click the unfriend button or the unfollow button, how many of us take the time to have a conversation with that person first? To put the time in, to make a phone call, to take them out to coffee and say, hey, I don't really know how you came up with this or what ideas were behind this or your history, but I want to learn. I want to know why you support this idea. I want to know why you're coming at it this way. And even if you decide not to agree on it, you decide to agree to disagree, you can still have a relationship with that person. But we don't put that time in because our society and our world promotes commitment to self above everything else. It's about us. It's about what little piece can I put into this and get the most out of it. And when I don't want to put any more into it, I just cut that relationship off. When I've got a friend in my group who's just kind of hanging on and I don't really love spending time with them, it's so easy to just push them off to the side and not worry about spending any more time with them, investing into that relationship. Our world doesn't promote commitment to relationships like Jesus did. And Jesus was committed to the relationships that he had. Now, as we go on this morning, I want to make sure I'm real clear about something. I am very aware that there are toxic relationships in our lives. And that there are some relationships that we need to step out of and step away from and remove from our lives. I'm not talking about those this morning. I'm talking about those relationships that we're just not willing to put the time in in order to move it forward. And Jesus committed to the relationships that he had. Just like us, he had a group of friends that he spent time with. They were called the disciples. There were 12 guys, not three, 12 guys that he put time into. He invested in for three and a half years and he gave them everything he had. And just like every group of people, every group of friends, there were like a mix of how committed they were to his relationship. You had people like John. John is known as the disciple that Jesus loved the most. I love that title. I would have liked that title. We won't talk about the fact that John's the one who wrote that title. Um, That doesn't matter. It's really clear in the New Testament that Jesus and John had a very special relationship, that Jesus loved him like a brother. He was affectionate toward him in a different way than he was with the rest of the disciples. He cared about him. He protected him. He loved John. And John was kind of one of those guys who was always next to Jesus. He was always right there and ready to support him. In fact, John as recorded in the New Testament, and we don't know if others were there, but John is the only one recorded in the New Testament as being at Jesus' crucifixion. He was there at the cross as Jesus died, and we don't know about the rest, but we know for sure John was there. So John was committed to that relationship, just like Jesus was committed to him. You've got somebody a little further down the scale like Thomas. So Thomas is right in there with the disciples. He learns alongside of Jesus like everybody else does. And then when everything goes south, Jesus is killed. 
and he's in the grave for a couple of days, Thomas goes, everything he said, I don't really know about that. Because Jesus had told them, hey, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back. And Thomas, he's not real sure. He's not sure that that commitment is true. And even when other disciples see Jesus after the resurrection and they come back to everybody and say, hey, look, he's here, he's back. He did exactly what he said he was gonna do. Thomas said, "Mm -mm. I'm not gonna believe it till I see it. I'm not gonna commit like that to that relationship. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up to him and said, Thomas, here I am. Here are the wounds in my hands. Here's the spot in my side where they stuck a spear. Touch me, feel me, see that I am real. Did Thomas finally fully commit to that idea? Now, what I'm amazed in that is not Thomas's disbelief, but that Jesus stayed committed to him. Jesus didn't have to show up and show Thomas where Thomas was. He didn't have to meet him where he was. He could have done any number of things to convince Thomas that otherwise, or just decided, you know what? I'm good with 10. I don't need Thomas in there. I can still spread the word with the group that I have that actually believes in me. But Jesus was committed to the relationship and he met Thomas where he needed to be met so that he would move forward. That's commitment to relationship. You've got Judas in this group. And I want you guys to think about this for a minute. Judas is the guy who betrays Jesus to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees for his death. And Judas is right in there from day one. And Jesus is God. Jesus knows this is the guy who's going to betray me to die. Sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. But never once does he cut Judas off. Never once does he say, you aren't worth my time, my investment, my love. Now, I know that Judas was a part of God's plan in all this, but it would have been so easy for Jesus just to leave him on the side and then make sure he had a way in at the end to make everything move forward. But Jesus never gave up the commitment to the relationship. If I knew that somebody in my group of friends was gonna stab me in the back like that, man, I'd wash my hands of them in a heartbeat. I'd be done with them. I would not need that in my life. But Jesus shows us what real commitment looks like. And finally, we've got Peter. Peter's the loudmouth of the group, right? Peter is kind of their impromptu leader. He's the one who immediately says, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you go. I'll be there right to the end. I'll go to the grave with you. I'll make sure nobody hurts you. Peter is the one who walks out on water when Jesus is out there because he was impetuous and he was passionate. Peter's the one who said for the very first time, Jesus, you are God. You are the son of God sent to save the world. He's the first to recognize that. And Jesus tells him, because God gave that to you and because you spoke it, you are gonna be the beginning of my church. And when I'm gone, when I go back to heaven, you'll be the one to move this forward. You'll be the one to start everything right here. And Jesus makes that commitment to him. And then things go south. Jesus is arrested at night at Gethsemane. And Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, they take off running. They don't want any piece of it because they are not looking to go through the same thing Jesus is about to go through. But Peter stops at some point and he's curious. He wants to know what's going to happen. He still loves Jesus. And so he turns around and he follows and he goes back to where they're holding the trial. And he doesn't go inside, but he stays on the outskirts out in the courtyard. 
And as he's there, I imagine he's trying to peer through a window or through a crack in a door, trying to see what's happening, trying to hear how it's all shaking out. People begin to recognize him. I mean, he's been following one of the most important, one of the most popular, one of the most recognizable figures of his age. He's been with him everywhere. So people know who he is. And they go, hey, weren't you with the guy who's getting ready to be put on a cross? Weren't you with the guy who's in trial right now? And Peter, no, 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 that's not me. You got me convinced with somebody else. I've got a really recognizable face, but that's not me. And people ask him again, are you sure? I know you've got the same accent. You're from the same area. You have to be with this guy. And he's like, no, not me. A third time he calls down a curse. May I die here and now if I was ever with that man? And Peter, let's go of the commitment of the relationship. But Jesus doesn't. In John chapter 21, now this is after everything has gone down. Jesus was crucified. He came back to life. He's shown himself to the disciples. And the disciples are counting now going, okay, there must be something more to this. What do we do next? And so they're out and they're trying to go on with life too. So we find them in John chapter 21 out fishing, which is what they did before they were disciples, uh, this group anyway. And so Peter's out there with a couple of guys and they're out fishing and they look and there's Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast because Jesus takes care of his disciples, I guess. It's just, he was out there and he wanted to spend some time with them. So he prepares a meal. So they get back to shore and they rush up and they eat together and they enjoy a little time together. And it says in verse 15, that after, Jesus asked, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. Another translation says that Peter was grieved in his heart the third time that Jesus asked. I don't think that Peter felt like he was being badgered. I don't think he was hurt or grieved because Jesus asked him a third time going, do you love me? Do you really love me? Are you sure that you love me? I think what happened was as Jesus asked the question a third time, something clicked for Peter. And he made the connection to the three times he had denied the relationship he had with Jesus just days ago. And what's going through his head is, I told everybody I didn't know the man. I wasn't connected to the man. I gave up on my commitment to him. I gave it all away. But what's beautiful in this is that three times Jesus confirms for Peter that he hasn't given up on Peter. Because at the end of every question, do you love me? He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He's reminding Peter three different times, no matter what you did, I didn't give up on my commitment to you. I didn't give up on the idea that you start my church, that you take everything that I have given you and you go and you spread it to the rest of the world because Jesus never gave up on his commitment to Peter. It's this beautiful image of what real commitment to others above ourselves looks like. Now, Jesus didn't commit at the same level to every person who followed him. There's no way. 
Jesus had that 12 that he was in tight with. He actually had a core group of three, Peter, James, and John, that he was extremely tight with, right? These guys saw things that nobody else saw. They were there in moments that nobody else was there in order to get something different from Jesus because Jesus committed to them even deeper. Jesus had a group of 72 disciples who followed him around for a while, and then he sent them out to begin preaching his message. So he committed to them, but not at the same level as the 12, and not at the same level as the three. And then he had thousands, think about it, thousands of people would flock to come watch him teach, to come hear from him, to gain a little nugget of wisdom. There's no way Jesus can commit in the same way to thousands and thousands of people. So there are different levels of commitments when it comes to relationships. And we have that kind of built in to church life, right? If you come to Epic on any regular basis, you probably tend to come to the same service each week um, or every other week or once a month. You come to either first or second service and you begin to know the people who are there. So you are gonna recognize faces, you're gonna get to know names. And for you know, the, the people that come in, you know, maybe it's 200 people on a Sunday morning that you spend the time here with, you begin to recognize some of those people and you're excited to see them. And you give them a hug, you shake their hand, you ask them how their kids are doing, how things are going at work, you catch up a little bit but you're not gonna go to those 200 people and talk about the terrible week that you had and the fact that your car gave up on you two days in and you're already up to your eyeballs in debt and you have no idea how you're going to make rent this month. You're not gonna say that to 200 people on a Sunday morning. It's a different level of commitment. We have the opportunity to be committed at that next level though. And Tim talked about it this morning. Epic really believes strongly. We believe very strongly in the life that comes from community groups. So we get a certain amount from our community here on a Sunday morning, but it's surface level. And we wanna take that deeper dive and commit to other people and allow them to commit to us. And so we make community groups available. And it's a chance to commit to say eight, 10, 12 people for a year and a half or two years and say, you know what, we're gonna go a little deeper. We're gonna to study together. We're gonna to learn with each other. You're gonna tell me about your life. I'm gonna tell you about mine. We're gonna go through experiences together. We're gonna to encourage each other, lift each other up. We're gonna pray for each other. And I realize as I'm saying this, there's like half this group going, I don't want that. I'm not looking for that kind of connection. I don't need any more of that in my life because as adults, making new relationships is not an easy thing, All right? We've got a group of friends already, most likely. We have jobs. We have families, we have other commitments to our time and our energy and giving just that little bit more is really difficult sometimes. And so we're already hands off with, wait, I had to talk about my stuff? I don't wanna do that. Well, the great part is you're in good company because I hated community groups for years and years. Now I grew up in the church and I knew the good Christian thing to do was to be part of a small group. So growing up, I was always part of some sort of small group, whether it was in youth group or, or younger or at camp or it was with a church as we got older and I was able to go on my own. I was always part of a small group because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And I loved the Bible study part of it. I loved digging into God's word with other people and hearing their perspective and getting their experience and learning from what they had already learned. But when it came to the personal stuff, that's not me. I'm a really private person. I don't like my stuff being out there for everybody else to see. And so when it came to that side, the relational side, I wouldn't commit. 
I just sit on the fringes. I let everybody else get all mushy and, and talk about the junk they had been through and how they had gotten through it. And I would just keep my hands off. And I never really got a full connection to what it meant to have relationships that way. I didn't gain anything from it because I wasn't putting anything into it. Now, eight or 10 years ago, Carl and I were serving at a different church and they didn't have a small group uh, opportunity there. It's just not part of their model. Um, and we felt like we needed something more than just a Sunday morning experience. We wanted to go further with this. That hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning, it just wasn't enough. We wanted to do it for real with other people who wanted to do it for real. And so we kind of made our own small group. There were seven of us, three couples um, and one other guy. And we'd all been friends for a while. And we're like, you know, we want to do something different here. We want to see how far we can go. And so we committed to doing this together. We actually committed to the point that we said, you know what? We'll support each other through anything we go through. And I can still remember the day where we sat on couches with each other and we were talking and there was a table in the middle and we all took our checkbooks and dropped the checkbooks on the table and said, so if you ever go through anything that you can't handle financially, I'll write a check for it. And it's not a loan. This is just what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. That was the level of commitment we found with each other after some time together. Without this group, I think we would have been in a lot of trouble when I got sick about seven or eight years ago. Now, a lot of you guys know my story. I'm not going to go real deep into it. But for those of you that don't, in uh, 2009, 2010, I got really, really sick. Uh, I lost about 40 pounds in the span of a, about a two or three months. I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep weight on. It just kept going. I dropped at my lowest to 118 pounds. And nobody could figure out what was going on. We actually spent two years between a boatload of doctors and a whole bunch of tests and a ridiculous amount of money trying to figure out what was going on. And throughout those two years, that group was by our side every step of the way. Now, Carl and I were very newly married. And I don't know how well our marriage would have held up under that stress that early on had that group not been there with us. And they prayed with us and they cried with us and they would come and physically help us. Like you know, I couldn't mow my yard. Like I couldn't walk a mower around. And so they would come and help mow my yard. They would come and rake leaves. They would bring us food. This group was our lifeblood for a period of time. And there's no way we could have done it without them. Now, what's amazing to me is that those relationship commitments lasted even after we weren't together anymore. So over time, you move apart. We each grew our families. Kids showed up. Everybody moved to different churches to serve in different areas. And we hadn't seen each other for a couple of years. And two years ago, Epic brought me on board full time. And Epic said, we want you to be here. We would love you to be part of our staff and what's going on here. But here's the deal. We can't afford to pay you all the way yet. So we'll pay a majority of your salary, 60%, but I need you to raise the other 40%. And Carl and I prayed about it and we sought God and we said, yeah, this is what God has for us. We'll do this. And we sent letters to everybody, people I hadn't talked to in like 20 years up in where we're from in the Northeast, up in Delaware. I made phone calls. I reached out to local businesses. I did the worst. You know, the couples from that small group were some of the first to commit to support us financially. I hadn't seen them, spent any real time with them in a couple of years. And they were the first ones to say, we'll be there for you. And two of those couples literally for two years wrote monthly checks 
that put food on our table, a roof over our heads, and clothes on my kids' backs. That's commitment to relationship. That's what it means to commit to others above ourselves. That's why it's worthwhile to dig into this idea of community groups. And it's not just so that you get something out of it, it's so that we can invest in other people, that we can give whatever God has given us. If it's financial, if it's something we're able to do, if it's just speaking love and encouragement into somebody else's life, but we can pour that into them like God pours into us. And we have a built-in support group at that point that when things go wrong, because things always go wrong in ways you never expect, God says, you've got a family right here who will support you, who will be there for you, who will tell you when you're going the wrong way, who will cheer you on when you head the right direction, who will cry with you and pray with you and rejoice with you and celebrate with you. It's a beautiful way to live life. In the church world, a lot of times we call it doing life together. It's a really churchy phrase, but it's so true. It means that you're not on this journey by yourself or just you and your mate and maybe a couple of kids and you're moving forward. You've got a whole community supporting you and they know your stuff and you know their stuff and you're open and you're transparent and you're honest and it's messy and it's painful and sometimes it's frustrating, but in the long run, That's every relationship in our lives. And God's asking us to commit to those relationships. So this morning as we wrap up, I wanna ask you, what relationships do you need to commit to today? Do you have a relationship in your life, a friend that you haven't reached out to for a while? Something was said, something was misunderstood, some words were thrown around and you were just like, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that in my life. Do you need to recommit to that relationship? Do you at least need to go back and have a conversation with that person? Maybe nothing fully comes out of it, but at least you try to put something, invest something into that relationship. Do you need to commit to a community group? Like Tim talked about this morning, we have a couple of options available. Starting point is great if you just wanna check out what it looks like. It's short, it's like seven weeks long. You're not committed for a real long time. You can see what it looks like to be part of a community group. It's a fantastic option, especially if you're new to Epic. If you've been here a while, do you need to commit to a longer-term community group? Do you need to commit to a couple of years with the same people who will get to know you, you'll get to know them, and together you will walk through a season of life, and you will experience that season more deeply than anything you could do on your own? Because I'm convinced that we get to know the freedom, real freedom, when we commit to relationships. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you would get to know that freedom that comes to committing to other people above yourselves. God has so much more for us than that. And life is so much richer with those relationships next to us, no matter how messy they might be. So I hope this morning that you'll consider that, that you will pray about that. You will honestly ask God, what are you asking me to commit to? And then take a next step this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, relationships are messy. They're difficult. We don't always love to put in the time into them that they need because it takes so much out of us. But God, we see beauty 
and we see love and we see you in those committed relationships. So this morning, Father, I pray that you would put on our hearts what we need to commit to, the people that we need to commit to, maybe the relationships we need to go back and try again. But God, whatever that is for each person here this morning, I pray that you would make it clear that you would show us the people that we should be committing to above and beyond ourselves. And God, I pray for strength to be able to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, I wanna thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Come back next week. We've got just a little bit more to continue in knowing freedom. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.